want to try to wind up these uh, things I've been sharing with you in connection with our adoption. We've been uh, looking at the various privileges that uh, come to us because we are God's sons and daughters. I began by just introducing the idea to you. We are not all God's children by birth. We become the children of God by our faith in the Lord Jesus. And uh, we've seen that uh, we, we become God's children in two ways. We are given his nature. We are generated, if we, if we can use that word. Uh, and a new nature is brought into being and we share the divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature, says 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, but then also we are exalted and adopted and brought into all of the privileges of sharing I think we, but I can even dare say we share the sonship of Jesus. I don't mean that we are God's children in the same way that Jesus is, but we, do, but we do become co-heirs with the Lord Jesus. Remember on Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus met Mary Magdalene, he says to her, I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. He separates the sonships, my father, your father. He, he doesn't say, I'm going to our father. He separates the two sonships. We are, we're not quite the, the children of God in the way that Jesus is. He's the son of God, even by divine nature. But, uh, but still, we do come in to share all of the privileges, and God begins to love us as he loves his son. We are, we are in the beloved and, the, and are loved because we are in Christ. And so we've been uh, looking at some of the privileges. Well, there are one or two more that I want to share with you. And then we must think a little bit before we go about the responsibility of being God's children because we are told you, you are sons of God. You can, you, you're to go out into the world. You'll be called the sons of God, says a verse in the Sermon on the Mount. So we must look at the responsibility of our being the children of God and the way in which we represent our Father here in this world. Well, there are two main things. Of course, every blessing is given to us because we are God's children, but there are two main things more that the scriptures mention, and they might surprise you a little bit. Another privilege of being a son or a daughter of God is chastening. We have the privilege that our Father will deal with us when we begin to wander or when we need uh, correction and rebuke and instruction. And the great chapter in this connection is Hebrews chapter 12, where uh, that writer, whoever he was, one of, one of Paul's friends, we don't know which one, that writer is writing to Jewish people who are discouraged and uh, ready to give up. They're tempted to neglect such a great salvation and not move on with the Lord. And the writer puts to them the glory of Jesus, how Jesus is the great high priest feeding feeding for us and so on. But then he comes to the point in chapter 12 where he has to say, well, don't grow, grow weary when your father is disciplining you. Let's read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, 
and chastises every son whom he receives. It is the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then are you illegitimate children and not sons? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. Basma, I hope you're listening to that bit. Strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So at that point, in, towards the end of the letter, he actually rebukes them for their, for their, their weariness. He says, well, well look, you, you, you've not died yet, you're still alive, you haven't shed your blood, you, you've not suffered the way Jesus suffered. And uh, God puts us through these tough times. He does it quite deliberately. It's part of our sonship. It's part of the privilege of, uh, of being God's children. So we must think about that. We mustn't think all of the rest of the privileges that we enjoy. We must think of the privilege that maybe we don't enjoy quite so much, the privilege of being disciplined by the Lord. And so the teaching is that God will deal with us and... Uh, he will chastise us. Um, I've got a lot to cover this morning, so I won't go into, into it in great detail, but it's a privilege that God is so determined to get us to be his people, to get us to be the way in which he wants us to be. He's so determined to produce holiness in us, by which I don't mean legalism, I mean love and mercy and peacefulness and freedom from jealousy, freedom from resentment, a concern for the glory of God. He is so determined to produce this holy character in us that he will do whatever it takes to, to get us to be functioning as his children. And so he says, don't be weary. This is part of your sonship. And uh, if, you, if you're never chastised, well, there's something, there's something wrong with that. If, 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 if a father never chastises his child, what does it mean? He doesn't care about him or that he's not truly his child. If you are without discipline, well, there's something wrong with you. Then are you, are you not sons? A son must be disciplined by his father and by our heavenly father. And uh, our fathers disciplined us. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. I've always uh, thought that phrase is interesting. You know, when you discipline your children, sometimes you're, you're working out your own feelings rather than anything the children are doing. You're, you're, you're disciplining your children as it seems best to you, and sometimes you make mistakes, you're over-disciplined or you're under-disciplined. Uh, your, your fathers, they, they, they did the best job that they could, says, says the writer. I've always uh, thought that phrase was a nice phrase. They disciplined us as best as they could and as, as it seemed best to them at the time, and we all make mistakes when we... Uh, bringing up our children. There's no perf perfect parent and there's no perfect child either. So uh, there's a kind of a messiness and muddledness in the way in which we bring up our children. We don't do it infallibly. But our, our Heavenly Father, He makes no mistakes. 
He's not just doing it to, uh, as it were, to work out off his feelings. He is looking for what is our good. He disciplines us for our good. He knows what we really need that we may share his holiness. So we must expect to be chastised. We must expect when uh, we need a bit of pulling back or reshaping or rebuking from our Father, we must expect it. It it must happen. It happens to all of God's children. If it doesn't happen, there's something weird and peculiar. Are you really saved at all? If God God never deals with you, the great mark of of being a Christian is that you're conscious that God is dealing with you. You're conscious that he's saved you, he's intervened in your life, he's moved you from what you were by nature. You're aware of this working of God in your life. And he continues with us. He continues to chasten us. The, the easy way to be chastised is to let him chastise us with his words. The easy way is for God just to speak to us and by his word, by his scriptures. And... Uh, that, that is not quite so painful. But if we will not listen to his word, then we, would expect, we must expect to, to feel the weight of his hand. It's, it's the same with our ordinary children. When, when your children are being naughty, first thing you do is you speak to them. You talk to them. They say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. And you, you rebuke your children. But if they will not listen to your word, well, then maybe you step up the, uh, the, uh, the strength of your hand or whatever it is. You deal with them. You cancel their pocket money for a week or maybe whatever it, whatever it is that you do. Uh, some places it's even illegal to spank your children. But uh, whatever it is, you, you, you take necessary action and so on. It's the same with our Father. It's bound to happen. We all will need it. And you can be chastised for a sin you haven't committed yet. So did, did you know that? You can be chastised for something you haven't done. And my text here is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Bible says that Paul was caught up into the heavenly glory and saw visions of the glory of Christ, and so great were the spiritual experiences he had that he was in danger of being proud. And the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 12, that he was sent a thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows what it was, but he was sent some kind of a painful thing, was stabbing him all the time, whatever it was, nobody knows. But uh, he says, I was sent a thorn in the flesh, lest I should be exalted over much, lest I should get so proud and so... so, uh, 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 superior in spirit because of these great revelations. I speak in tongues more than any of you, said Paul to the Corinthians. And he was in danger of being, of being exalted and, and having a kind of superior spirit, spirit of pride. And Paul said, well, God sent something into my life to keep my, me humble. Not, he's not saying he, he became sinful in this way. It was lest he should become sinful in this way. It was a, he was being rebuked for a sin he hadn't committed. And God can do that with you. God can see what you would do and where you would go if he didn't uh, put out his mighty arm and block you or stop you or rebuke you in some way and stop you going into something that would not be good for you. The good news is chastening is always temporary. It does not go on forever. All all, uh, chastening for the moment... It's painful, but notice that phrase, for the moment. It's not going to go on forever. And the good news is chastening is preparation. God, When God is dealing with you, he's preparing to use you. You're going to see the Lord at work, and God's going to use you. Chastening is preparation. It is temporary. It will not go on forever. You do not enjoy it at the time. You're not meant to enjoy it. Uh, it wouldn't work if you did enjoy it. 
or chastening for the moment is grievous, it's heavy, it's painful. But what is, what is great is not now, but where it's going to. Afterwards, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. And so this is part of our sonship. So the writer's, the writer's exhortation is, well, cooperate. Let him, let him discipline you. It's like, it's like physiotherapy. It's like being put in a gymnasium and being made to do certain exercises. Have you ever been put through a physiotherapy program? You do not enjoy it. It is painful. You're being made to do things which you can't do. You're meant to twist your ankle there or bend your knee or lift, stretch your elbow, and you really can't do it. Your elbow's not made to do it, but you're sort of forcing yourself. You are not enjoying it. Slowly, you are loosening yourself up, and you get, you get able to use your limbs again. That's the kind of picture here. He's, he's picturing not a modern hospital, but an ancient gymnasium. Imagine you're in that ancient gymnasium and someone's uh, getting you to be toughened up physically. Lift up your drooping hands. There, there they are, drooping, depressed, weary. Let's give up all this uh, Christian life. We're being persecuted too much. They're discouraged. Their hands are drooping. They're, uh, their, their knees are weak and wobbly. They're, 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 they're not walking very much. And the writer says, no, come on, get, get, wake yourself up. Stretch out your limbs. Get your, get your legs moving. Start walking. Start start. Uh, Pushing yourself to, to do something which, which is beyond what you normally do. Stretch yourself. Go into the physiotherapy class. Go into the gymnasium. In other words, the teaching is this. The quickest way to get out of chastening is to learn what you're meant to learn. When you get things moving in your life, when you get your prayer life moving, you strengthen your knees, which if I can... Uh, interpret a bit fancifully, it's maybe learn to pray a bit more. Get those knees, uh, be on your knees a bit more. Start doing things for God. Be more active. Start serving God. Start being a person of prayer. Learn, learn what God is wanting you to learn. The quicker you learn the lesson, the quicker the chastening will end. Chastening normally begins suddenly and chastening normally ends suddenly. I think of Joseph. There he goes off one day just going for a stroll to see his brother's and suddenly, he's never going to see his father again for 30 years. And chastening has come upon him. That proud teenager saying to his parents, well, one day you're going to bow down before me, which was true, but it wasn't the most tactful thing to say to his parents. This proud teenager, a bit proud of his gift of dreams and visions, he's so proud of it, oh, God knows how to deal with him. And he's going to be totally trained as an administrator, a godly man. He's going to be the right-hand man of Pharaoh. He's going to need a lot of training. And God gives it to him. He's put into prison. He's slandered. He has to be in dungeons. goes on for years. He tries to get out. He says to the, he says to the, the baker or the butler, whoever it was, when, when you see Pharaoh, tell him I shouldn't be here. Try, try and get me out. He stays there another two years. You can't, when God's got his hand upon you, you can't get out very easily. And if you do, he'll only send it back to you in a different way. Until one day, a knock comes at the door. Hey, guess what, Joseph? Pharaoh wants to see you. And you go from the dungeon to the throne in one step. When chastening ends, it ends suddenly. Suddenly God says, all right, the course is over, and you're promoted. It begins suddenly, it ends suddenly. The best way to get out is to learn what what God is wanting to do for you. This is the greatest... uh, privilege, one of the great privileges of the Christian life. It is a privilege. You'll, you'll say, as, as the man said in Psalm 119, it was good for me to be afflicted. When it's all over, you'll say, yeah, that was good. I'm glad I went through that. 
you won't say it at the time, but when it's all over, you will say it. You'll say that that was a, a good time in my life. I learned a lot. It was good for me that I was afflicted, as, as the man says in Psalm 119. So that, too, is one of the great aspects of our sonship. But let me hurry on. There is another aspect I want to deal with, and that is that there is a part of our sonship which is future. And the, the text that I have in mind here is, is Romans chapter 8, where Paul is dealing with the, the struggles and the painful aspects of this life. And he says, yeah, we're, we're not fully saved yet. The, the world is not saved. The creation is not saved yet. It's still struggling in bondage to decay. And, and we too are still part of the old world. We're not totally redeemed. Not only the creation, Romans chapter 8, verse 23, but we ourselves we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the outpouring of the Spirit, which is a, first, a foretaste of the glory to come. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are actually waiting for one aspect of, of, our, of our sonship. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Often when... Uh, a man or a woman have a son, there's a certain time when he comes into his maturity, there's a certain time when he gets a kind of new phase of his sonship. And that's true of us. There's one part of our sonship, there's one part of all the privileges which God is going to give us as his children, which we have not got yet. There's one part of us, it's very important to understand this, you'll be in trouble if you don't understand this. There's one part of us which is not saved, not saved at all. It is still totally unredeemed, and we are waiting for it. And the bit of us that is not saved is our bodies. Our bodies are not saved. We are saved. Our spirits are saved. Our relationship to God is saved. Our status in the kingdom is as great as it ever will be. You'll never be any more justified than you are already. You're already declared righteous. You're already given the status of being righteous people. You can't improve on that. It'll never, it'll never get any better than what you've got already. But there's a part of, of our salvation which you've not yet got, and we're still waiting for it. Waiting for our adoption, says uh, Romans chapter 8. Waiting for our final phase of being God's children, the redemption of our bodies. And the reason why this is so important is it, it will lead us in, into trouble if we, if we don't really see this. The the danger is, if we don't see, see this, that we will be disappointed with the Christian life. Have you ever find a, a Christian life disappointing? You, you pray for some sort of healing uh, and it doesn't come. Or you struggle with some sort of relationship, maybe even your children or your husband or your wife. And uh, you think, well, you know, this, this relationship is not as good as it ought to be. And uh, there's something sort of defective or you, you find yourself more prone to sin than you ever imagined you would be. You say, well, I'm, I'm in the kingdom of grace. I've died to sin. Grace is ruling over me. How, how come I can even sin at all? And, and you, uh, you find yourself to be disappointed with, with yourself. Well, remember that there's a bit of you that's not redeemed. You are not in heaven yet. You don't have the resurrection body. You, you are prone to sin. Sin still works through the body. That's why the Bible says we mortify the deeds of the body that we might live. Sin comes at us through, through the body. And uh, the great danger is that we, we get too discouraged. We say, well, you know, I, I really thought the Christian life would be better than this. 
I really thought that I would get sort of perfect healing when I pray. I thought all my relationships would be so sweet and good now that I'm saved. I remember the first time, I can remember it quite vividly, I remember the first time after I was saved when I saw two Christians quarrelling. And I was totally astonished. I didn't think it was possible for Christians to quarrel. I mean, I'd only been saved a, a little bit. When I saw these two Christian leaders sort of arguing with each other, I thought, like, no, 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 this can't happen. Why is this happening? It totally astonished me to find that any Christians anywhere could ever quarrel. I didn't think it was possible. Until one day I sort of woke up to reality. But, uh, yeah, sometimes you, you, you're disappointed. Remember, don't, don't get too discouraged. We are saved in hope, says Romans chapter 8, which means there's something we're still expecting. Uh, we're in a position of salvation. We've got that. But the position we're in is a position of expectation. We're still ex- expecting the next bit. And it's especially important with healing. You heat in, the, in the matter of healing, the churches tend to go to and fro. They wander from one extreme to the other. One moment they become very sceptical and they don't really believe in healing. The next moment they want to switch healing on and just as it were pray and, and perfect healing comes and, they, uh, and then they make mistakes and it doesn't work out. Remember, healing is a flash of glory. We're not in glory. We're not, we've, not, we've not got to the resurrection body yet. Every time there's a healing or a miracle, it's a kind of flash of glory. It's a little bit of the future, which you get now. Just a little glimpse to see what, where the glory is that you're going to. But, but you're not there yet. You haven't got to glory. You can't switch on the resurrection body. Don't, don't, don't exaggerate what is available to us now. You remember how Paul puts it to the Corinthians. He's quite sarcastic. He says, he says you, you Corinthians, you, you're reigning. You think you're kings. Would that, would that we were reigning with you so, so that we could have the kind of glory you, you Corinthians have got. He's being sarcastic. They are, they are trying, acting as though they're angels already in heaven. Paul says, yeah, I wish, I wish it was right. I wish it was true. We, we apostles, we are the, the scum of the earth. You people, you're reigning. You're kings. Would that we were reigning with you. It's, it's sarcasm because they are, as it were, claiming too much glory. They're claiming to be in heaven almost when, when they're not there yet. But uh, we get flashes of glory. Paul says it, the first fruits of the Spirit, little, little bits of the, of the glory that's to come, we get now. The great example, of course, is the raising of Lazarus. Jesus comes to the tomb in Bethany, and uh, Lazarus has been dead for four years. And they say, well, Lord, if you'd been here, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have died. And they say, well, Jesus says, yeah, but you're going to see the glory of God. And they say, don't, don't, he says, don't you think he could be raised from the dead? And they say, yeah, we know, we know he will be raised from the dead at the last day. Martha and Mary say, both say to Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, but the last day is me. I am the resurrection and the life. And I'm here now, so I can do it, I can do it now. You don't have to wait to the last day. Look, I'll, I'll do it for you now. Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And a flash of glory comes. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. One day that will happen to every one of us. One day Jesus will say to the whole universe, you know, there's a story in Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, when, when Martin Lloyd-Jones was a little teen, a little boy at Sunday school, so there was a kind of a quiz, and someone said in the Sunday school, why, why did Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth? A little young teenage Lloyd-Jones replied, otherwise they, they would all come forth, was <laughs> the answer that he gave. Yeah, one day he won't say, Lazarus, come forth. One day he'll say, everybody, come forth. And, and the whole of the dead will, will rise and there'll be glory such as we've ever seen. All that was happening in Bethany on that day was a flash of it. One person was raised to give you a flash of 
Jesus, what Jesus will do at the last day. He is the resurrection. And when he's here, he can do anything. He can do it now. But, but, but don't sort of try to get the last day before you get to the last day. Don't try to get the resurrection body. You may say, well, there's healing in the atonement. That's true. There's healing in the atonement. Jesus died for, for, the, for the healing of our bodies. But actually, there's everything in the atonement. There's the new heavens and the new earth in which, in which righteousness dwells. There's heaven, there's glory, there's, there's, the, there's, there's total liberation from sin. There's total freedom from temptation. There's the removal of Satan altogether. Everything is bought by the blood of Christ. There's everything in the atonement. But it doesn't mean that you are in control of it. It doesn't mean you can switch it on. It doesn't mean you can claim your resurrection body today. All it means is when any flash of glory does come your way, it is by virtue of the blood of Christ. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything more than that. There's healing in the atonement, but don't, if you'll let me be a bit theological, don't, can you, can you follow this? Don't overrealize your eschatology. Can you follow that sentence? Don't sort of claim the future too much now. Don't overrealize your eschatology. If you're, that may be technical for a second or two. If you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, that's all right. Don't worry. But uh, don't claim glory before you get there. Don't underclaim and act as though God can't work in our world. And don't overclaim as if you were in glory already. And so we are waiting for more of our sonship to come. We are in expectation. And when we're in trouble, we're saying, well, it's all right, I'm in trouble, it's not going to last forever. I can, be, I can be tempted. One day I won't even be able to be tempted. Satan could get at me. One day Satan won't even be there. I, I can have disappointing relationships. One day they'll be perfect. I'll understand everybody perfectly. I'll understand my wife perfectly. I'm waiting for that day. Um, she'll understand me perfectly. I'll, I'm waiting for that day. My children, they'll understand me perfectly. I'll, I'm waiting for that day. Perfection in relationships will come. Heaven is a place of love, but you haven't got there yet. <laughs> you haven't got there yet. Meanwhile, you're, you're dealing with sin and temptation. You're sort of negotiating. You're, you're living the life of love. You're forgiving each other. You've not got perfect relationships yet. You will do. You will do. You're waiting for your redemption. And God gives us a little bit. He gives us flashes of glory. He gives us the down payment of the Spirit. He gives us the first fruits. We have a little bit of it in order to encourage us and uh, know that this is not, we're not living for this world anyway. And so he says that this, this world is groaning. We're waiting for the day of glory to come. But the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed. These, this little suffering we've got now, these little struggles with temptations and sin, these wanderings and failures and, and, and times when we are disappointed in life, it's, it's just temporary. At the moment, we've, we've got, it's only our spirits that are redeemed. Mind you, our spirits are redeemed. We, as people, are removed from the realm of sin. We are not in the kingdom of sin. This, this body is just a little overhang. It's just a little bit sort of hanging around. But we ourselves, we've died to sin. We're as good as in heaven already. We're seated in the heavenly places in Christ. Those whom he justified, he has glorified. We're as good as glorified already. In the mind of God, we're already in glory. We are seated in the heavenly glory. Just that there's a little bit of a, an overhang of this old world. We've got the new, we haven't quite got rid of the old. We're living in the overlap, as New Testament scholars sometimes say. We're in the old world and the new world at the same time. Remember how Paul puts it in Romans. He says, the night is far spent. We're a long, we're a long way through, through the history of the world. The night is far spent. 
the day is at hand. It's, it's coming. It's coming. You, you can see, you can see uh, the glory as it were coming, as, as William Williams put it, all the gloomy hills of darkness. You can see that bright day, that bright sunshine which is coming. And you live for that day. You live for the day when Jesus will say, well done. You live for the day when Satan will not be around. You live for the day when you're, not only will you not sin, you won't even be tempted. You live for the day when all relationships are perfected. Heaven will be a kingdom of love. Hope. There'll be no hope in heaven because everything will be realized and fulfilled. There'll be no faith in heaven because you won't need to trust without seeing. You will see everything. There'll be no need of faith in heaven. Hope does not go on forever because it's not needed. Faith does not go on forever because one day it won't be needed. But love will go on forever. When you get to heaven, it will be a kingdom of love. Everybody will love everybody everywhere. It will be a kingdom, a domain, a realm of great love. And you'll, you'll, you'll know God even as you are known. Your, your knowledge of God will be, will be perfected and you will see God. And we're going there. We're on the way. And uh, the more you live by faith, the more you get flashes of glory. But don't act as though you're, you're, you're totally redeemed. You're going to get old you're going to decay, you're going to die, go and look in the mirror once a year, you can see yourself decaying a little bit. This old man is, is deteriorating, but the inner man, the inner man, you're decaying on the outside and growing on the inside. The inner man is being renewed. You're getting more and more, as it were, bigger in God on the inside. You're, you're, not, you're not getting older, you're getting younger within. You're more and more alive unto God. You're, you're, you're getting to know God within. The, old, the outer man is decaying. As I say, just go and look in the mirror once a year in case you forget what's happening to you. But the inner man is being renewed. And you're living a life of hope. You're living a life of expectation. The glory is coming. You can see it. I like to think of it in terms of Kenya. When you're driving through Kenya, you're driving down to Mombasa, you can see Mount Kilimanjaro. There it is there that high, high mountain with the snows on top, although global warming's reducing it a bit. But uh, there's that high, high mountain. Mind you, Mount Kilimanjaro is not in Kenya. It's over the border in Tanzania. But you can see it is there, shining in the distance over the border. That's what life is like. You're not over the border just yet, but you can see it. You can see that the mountains of glory. You can see, like, like uh, Moses standing on top of Mount Nebo, he could see over the River Jordan and see the land flowing with milk and honey, though he wasn't, just, he wasn't there yet. That's where we are. We are on the border. We're, we're driving along the border, but over the border we can see the mountains of glory. They are coming. And you get little glimpses of them even now, little flashes, little healings, little days when God is so close to you, it's almost as though you were in heaven. We are saved into a situation of hope. We are saved into a situation. And if we enjoy the privileges of sonship, that is nothing compared to the sonship that's coming. The son, when we are fully getting all the blessings of the mature sons of God, we are waiting for our adoption. We're waiting for God to say, oh, my son, and give us the resurrection body and the final blessings of sonship. They're coming. And we live for them. Praise God, we get flashes of them even before we get there. Even before we get there, we get down payments and foretastes and first fruits and what I call flashes of glory. It's, it's just to let us know where we're going. A little bit of the kingdom that's over the border. We'll be there quite soon. 
Life goes by fast. Always seems to me it goes by faster the older you get. When, when you're young, it takes years before you sort of get out of your secondary school or something. When you're getting older, you, you, you have these babies, and then tomorrow morning they're 18, and then the university, and then they've gone, and then you've got grandchildren. Life, life goes so fast. It seems to speed up as you go by. Oh, a few more years shall roll, as the old queen puts it. A few more seasons roll. A few more years shall roll. A few more seasons come. Life is going by fast. Don't live for this life. It's going fast. Lay up treasure in heaven. Send your goods ahead of you to the new land where you're going. Send everything in the realm that's to come. Put, 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 put all, everything you, you're living for. Put it into the future home where you've got. You're not going to be here very long. Put it all in the, in the kingdom of glory where you're going. Lay up treasure in heaven. Live in hope. Don't worry about, about these little frailties we've got. It's this, these momentary afflictions. They're nothing compared to the glory that's to come. Live in hope and know that one day God is going to be my father even more. I'm going to be his son. One day he's going to say to you, I'm your God, I'm your father, you're my children. He's going to say that in a greater way than ever. Waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So we don't let ourselves get too disappointed and we live for the blessings of the future. And so we're getting, this, we're getting flashes of this future inheritance, this future glory. Do you ever think about it? Do you ever just uh, think about the future that will come? I like to think about it in three ways. What is not there, and we're glad it's not there, what is not there, and yet those things are quite good, and we might be sorry they're not there. And what will be there? Some things will not be there. Satan will not be there. You'll never face any problems with Satan ever again. Sin will not be there. You won't even be tempted. Sickness, disease will not be there. Quarrels will not be there. Temptation, none of those things will be there. You'll be finished with all those things forever. And there'll be some other things that'll be there, won't be there. There'll be no gift of tongues there. You won't be praying in tongues in heaven. And Paul says these things will fade away. It doesn't mean they'll fade away tomorrow morning. It means they'll fade away eventually. When, when you see Jesus, you won't need gifts of the Spirit or revelations. There'll be no gift of tongues. There'll be no preaching. I'm sorry, you better listen to all the sermons you can now. There'll be no preaching in heaven. I'm sorry about that, but uh, it's true. There'll be no intercessory prayer. You won't be interceding for anybody in heaven. If you want to be a man or woman of intercession, you better do it now because it'll close down the very moment you go to heaven. There'll be no witnessing. You, you, won't, you won't need to witness to people in heaven. You won't need to be evangelizing. These things are for now. You better do them now because otherwise you'll be in the heavenly glory as a person known for never having done any witnessing. You might say, well, you know, I really want to do some witnessing. No, it's too late. You're in glory now. There'll be no witnessing anymore. There'll be no giving. Now, I don't think they'll be taking offerings in heaven. You better do your giving now. There'll be no loving enemies. There'll be no forgiving. You won't be forgiving anybody in heaven. You see, some things you've got to do now. Only if you don't do it now, 
That's it. You'll be in the heavenly glory without that bit of credit or honor to your name because you won't have done them in this world and you won't be able to do them in that world so you've, you've lost a bit of your glory. You've lost a little bit of your inheritance. Some things you better do now because you won't have a chance then. Resisting sin, living for God, intercessory prayer, putting down sin and, t- and temptation, fighting the battle of faith, trusting God in situations where, where you, 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 can't see the, you can't see where you're going because of the darkness. Forgiving your enemies, ridding your life of bitterness, getting jealousy and, and, and malice out of your life. All these things, you won't have a chance in heaven. You won't have the honor and, and the marvel and the wonder of the Lord saying, well done, I saw you deal with these things. I saw you get, get out of your life what ought, what ought not to be there. Cleansing, cleansing yourself from every defilement of body and of spirit. You won't have the glory of that if you don't do it now. There'll be some things not there that we might wish we could do. We might want to come back. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the Lord and say, well, Lord, you know, give me another chance. Let me go back and live life again. But no, there'll be no reincarnation. You won't come back again. You won't get a second chance. There's no second chance to live this life we live. It's the only life we're going to get. So we better live it now. But then things are the things that will be there, things that are are there and we're looking forward to them. There will be perfect relationships. Everybody will love everybody else. There'll be honor. Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and that well done, uh, the sound of it will last forever. Forever we will be the people to whom Jesus said, well done. We'll be the people with honor and glory. We will shine. I, I believe the glory will be visible. People even see it. It, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, one star differs from another star in glory. So it is in the resurrection of the dead. Even the glory will be visible. And there'll be variation in glory. We're not all going to be identically the same in, in, in the final glory. Even the glory of God within us, the heavenly reward, it will vary. One star differs from another star in glory. And then, I don't sort of understand this, but uh, I believe that we will have different levels of service we will be serving god in the final glory but by final glory i don't mean wandering around in the sky the final glory is earthly the final glory is physical the new jerusalem comes down on planet earth this is the the difference between the christian gospel and plato for plato heaven was floating around in space somewhere playing your guitar uh, as some kind of spiritual ghost that's not the Bible's view. The Bible's view is you're given a resurrection body. And there's a new heavens and a new earth. It's earthly. It is territorial. It is physical. There's a planet. It'll be a glorified planet. Who knows? I mean, that, that universe out there is so empty. I mean, the whole universe is totally and utterly empty. One wonders why God made it. Maybe that's where we'll be in the final glory. Maybe it's there for us. Millions and billions and billions, a multitude that no one can possibly number. I don't even know how we're going to fit on this earth. If we have, if we have population problems now, what will we be like in the heavenly glory? What a, what a day it will be. Maybe that's what that empty universe is out, is out there for. Maybe we'll fill it. Maybe we'll colonize the universe. Who knows? Uh, we don't know about these things. But you can be sure of one thing. We're going to be serving God. We're not going to be sitting idly watching TV in heaven. We're not going to be just out in space playing our guitars. We're going to be serving God. We're going to be doing things for God. Well, who knows what they're going to be? Nobody knows. But Jesus says, well, you've been faithful over one city. Now, I'm going to give you ten. Our responsibility is going to be multiplied. And we will enjoy it. Whatever it will be, we will enjoy it. It'll be our heavenly reward. Some will get bigger rewards than others. We'll be serving God day and night. 
It will be so wonderful, so thrilling. I have the slightest idea what it will be, but uh, we'll be doing something for God. You can be sure of that. I'll be serving God day and night, full of worship and praise. We'll just be singing choruses to each other all day. We'll be serving the Lord, and we will be enjoying it. We'll be free from sin. Sin will be abolished. Nobody's ever going to sin at all. There's honor, there's closeness, there's companionship. We will be the companions of the Lamb, says the book of Revelation. And, it, and we'll have this visible glory forever and ever. Don't, don't live for this life. This life is full of sufferings and troubles and trials. In this life, use it to lay up treasure in heaven. Use it for the day when Jesus will say, well done. Don't expect this life to be perfect. Don't expect perfect healing. Don't expect p- perfect uh, victory over sin, as, as though you're never going to sin anymore. Don't ex- expect perfect, ab- absolutely 100% perfect relationships. You won't get them. That no, no relationship is perfect, neither, neither with our family or with anybody else. No perfect friend apart from Jesus. Don't expect perfection in this world. This is yet to come. Yet to come. The day when sin is removed from this universe and we get to the final phase of our adoption. Oh, it's a great thing to be a child of God. It's a great thing to be God's son. The world knows nothing of it. The reason why the world does not know us, says one John, the reason why the world does not know us is it because it did not know him. It doesn't know Jesus and it doesn't understand us. We are total mysteries and enigmas. In fact, if nobody's ever said to you, well, I can't understand you, you're you're a weird sort of guy. If no one's ever said that to you, I I doubt whether you're even saved. A Christian is an enigma and a perplexity and a puzzle to the world. They cannot understand us. And the reason why they can't understand us is because they can't understand him. Sinners are easy to want to be understood. They've sinned. Anybody can understand a sinner. To understand a saint, oh, that's a much bigger thing. It's marvels and mysteries and wonders. He's half in the heavenly glory. If you're not saved, you don't completely understand him. He's living in a different world, even when he's in this world. Like when you go off to some distant country, you're in Qatar or or the Cook Islands or you're in in Haiti or somewhere. You're miles from home. And even though you're you're miles from home, you're not quite fitting where you are. This is not really your culture. You really come from a different world altogether. Oh, that's what it is all the time. We come from a different world. We've been removed from this world. We're just living here for a few more years, camping for a few more years. And now we're really in the heavenly glory. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 3. We belong to a new realm. This world is dark, it's nighttime. But uh, we're getting ready for the daytime to come. Putting off the works of darkness. Being clothed in the garments of the kingdom of light. It's coming, it's coming. Our sonship is is about to be upgraded. We're about to get into our maturity. We're about to become the fully adult sons of our heavenly father. And the Lord will say to us, well done. And we shall get our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. But the more you live for the Lord now, the more you're laying up treasure in heaven. The more you're, as it were, already sort of in that world, anticipating with, 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 heart, with one foot in the heavenly glory, the more you're living in that world now, the, the more will come to you, the more you bigger your inheritance, the more the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant, the more glory there will be. Live, Jonathan Edwards said, live for high levels of glory. The great Jonathan Edwards, live for high levels of glory in that world 
it is to come, because we're only saved in hope, because we're not fully saved yet, not in body. We're only saved in hope. But we are expecting, we're living in expectation, and we're half in the glory already, waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So let's pause there. Let's stand and pray as we bring this session to a close. Let's stand and pray. Our Father, I pray that we may learn to live with our hearts and our minds already in the future glory, already in the kingdom of love, already in the realm where Satan is put down, already in the realm where there's glory, where there's resurrection body and everyone is honouring the Lord Jesus Christ and we're all worshipping around the the throne, praising him for creation, praising him as the lamb who is worthy. May we live in that world already and be laying up treasure in heaven so that one day we have such a big inheritance to get to. Do it in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.